Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC, this is New Tech City, where digital gets personal. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Have you been feeling like, I don't know, it's getting harder to concentrate? I mean, actually, I know some of you do because you told us. Here's listener Lily Sloan in San Francisco. I'm so distracted and overwhelmed, and I'm so wired at the same time that I can't seem to settle down and focus. There's also Rachel Arnsdorf in White Plains, New York. I really struggle with finding focus. I have been multitasking all the time, and I feel like it's left me feeling very distracted and really feeling unable to do just one thing at a time. And Kristen Kaus in Brooklyn. I often find myself turning on my phone to answer an email or a text, and then I get distracted by whatever. I'll turn it off and then realize an hour later that I never did what I'd turned my phone on to do in the first place. We get emails and voicemails like this from listeners all the time. People complaining about feeling, and I'm quoting here, overwhelmed and all over the place. Frustrated that we can't concentrate. And I'm saying we because, yeah, I feel it too. This week, how the tech we surround ourselves with could be affecting our brains to distraction. And one listener's story that epitomizes this search for focus and the dilemma that he has about what to do about it. Kenan Klukas is a Brit. He's married with four kids, and he is struggling. Over about the last three years, I've noticed a significant decline in my ability to manage tasks. It felt like there were gaps in my performance, gaps in my memory, gaps in my ability to be able to just adjust my routine on a day-to-day basis to cope with what was coming. Not being able to cope is a big problem for Kenan because he's the CEO and founder of a business that he started out of his home 14 years ago in Cheltenham, west of London. Which is a beautiful rural town in the middle of very English England. It's an open plan office. And Kenan, he used to take pride in having a pin straight desk, everything lined up just so. Now it's become a metaphor for Kenan's muddled mind. I can't even describe how disorganized it is. It's just piles of paper around a 27-inch iMac with a keyboard and several cups. And honestly, it's more than a metaphor. It's a mirror. Um, it, it completely mirrors how, how my mental experience is. Things got so bad that a few key employees quit last year, in part because they felt like they were having to pick up Kinnan's slack, like deal with scheduling mix-ups and disorganized projects, things that were not in their job descriptions. A messy desk is one thing, but now Kinnan's distraction was affecting his company. Frustrated, panicked, he went to see his family doctor. My concern, honestly, which might sound like a hypochondriac reaction, was that maybe it was an onset of dementia because I was in my early 40s and uh, you read about people who have these problems early in life and I thought, well, if it's that, that's, that's something I need to address quickly. So that was the first thing was, can we rule this out? They ran some tests. They all came back negative. But wait, what about his thyroid? Could that be it? No, it's not the thyroid. Blood tests ruled that out. Not dementia, not the thyroid. Kinnan's doctor said it must be something to do with his mental performance. Okay, so what's that? Kinnan was truly shocked by the diagnosis his doctor finally gave him. 
He said, well, you present the most profound symptoms of any adult that I've seen uh, to support an ADHD diagnosis. ADHD. Kinnan had attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And that surprised me massively because it's not something that I would ever have considered as being something I'd suffer from. For one, he was an adult. And also, in the UK, doctors don't hand out a diagnosis of ADHD as frequently as they do here. About 6% of the kids in the US get the diagnosis. In the UK, it's 1.5%. And many Brits, they question whether it's even a real thing. Kinnan, too. I fell absolutely 100% into the camp that did not believe it was real, uh, that it was something that uh, perhaps the pharmaceutical companies engineered. So that was where I sat as a skeptic. And Kinnan says, sure, you know, he's always been described as something of a maverick. You know, growing up, he always had lots of ideas. He had projects on the go. But it never affected his grades in school or his business, at least not until the last three years or so. So what changed? Basically, Kinnan feels like he has slowly outsourced his brain to apps and online calendars and tracking systems and social media. And by outsourcing all the work that his brain used to do, well, his brain just got used to not working. The more I've reflected on this, the more I've seen that I I have done this repeatedly. I've adopted a piece of technology and pushed some of myself and some of my, I suppose, my responsibility for myself onto technology and then just left it. I don't know whether that makes sense. No, it does. And what it makes me wonder is there are some people who say that things like to-do apps and calendars, they give us a place to put stuff that are not crucial. We put them there and therefore our brain has more space to actually problem solve and do a better job about thinking about important things instead of remembering telephone numbers and calendar appointments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I I think that's absolutely misleading. Um, The more I've reflected on this, the more I think that we delegate to technology. And by delegating to technology, we think that technology somehow is going to resolve problems for us. But it doesn't because the more that you delegate, the less your brain has to be engaged. I don't believe that I've suffered ADHD through my entire life at all. I think if if it can be proven that I have it now, that it's a direct result of where I've ended up in my life with technology. Is Kenan right? Have we outsourced our brains to the point that symptoms of ADHD may rise to the surface? Let me see. The current number of people being diagnosed with ADHD is somewhere around 11% of the population. And then somewhere in the college population, it's closer to 18 to 20%. And that has been going up year by year. Mike Petrus is a psychologist at the University of Chicago's Student Counseling Service. He's actually an ADHD evaluation expert. And I wanted him to explain what we know so far about the Internet, technology, and attention deficit disorder. The thing to understand about ADHD is that it's a rule-out diagnosis or a diagnosis of exclusion, which means there are a lot of potential things that contribute to attention problems in people. Um, Things like mood disorders, anxiety disorders, substance use, sleep issues. So when you're doing an ADHD assessment, you try and evaluate all those other possible areas and rule them out as potential causes for attention problems first. Just to be clear, we don't have any scientific proof that technology or social media or our gadgets or whatever, that they are causing more ADHD, correct? 
No, but we do have scientific proof that it is affecting our working memory. It is affecting our ability to process information. And all of those things do play into an ADHD diagnosis. Using technology and social media can impair people in those areas that can either look very similar to ADHD or exacerbate underlying attention problems that people might already have. So when you look at your population specifically, college students, Mm -hmm. is there any, I don't know, a certain type of student that maybe didn't have problems in high school but is starting to suffer some of these symptoms and why? Well, yes, absolutely. I think more broadly speaking, a lot a lot of students and you know, young adults, college students really struggle with issues around time management, organization, procrastination. Uh, some of that is developmental. Um, and normal. Some of that has to do with stress and anxiety and substance use and all all kinds of different things going on. But more recently, when I'm doing evaluations with college-age students, I'm asking about about their internet, social media, and technology use. Sometimes I'll say, how often are you on the internet or how much do you spend, how much time do you spend on the internet? And more often than not, the look back at me is like, I I don't even know how to compute to that. It's, (laughs) It's almost like, when am I not on the internet? And is there a particular part of the brain where this is happening? So the prefrontal cortex is where executive functioning primarily takes place. And that's kind of like the uh, orchestra conductor. You know, it's the sort of manages the brain functioning. And when we're being rewarded consistently, whether it's having a picture liked or playing some kind of video game or something like that, it, it really impacts our ability to use our executive functioning effectively and to manage what's going on in our experience. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. Okay, so Liz, let me just – are you still there? I'm here. Let's just pause here for a minute. I forgot to tell you who was sitting next to Mike in that studio in Chicago. My name is Liz Petrus, and I am married to Mike Petrus. Considering that her husband Mike is an ADHD expert – It's kind of fascinating that Liz has the job she does. I'm a social strategist, so it is my job to determine uh, where the correlation between our clients' objectives in social and digital media and uh, what we want our consumers to do meet up and where the best fit is for what the the client can provide to consumers. So basically you're in charge of getting our attention, right? Helping your clients get our attention that we've been been talking about. Yeah, which is an increasingly more difficult job. (laughs) Okay, in a minute, how Liz Petrus, the social media expert who's married to a psychologist who specializes in ADHD, how she advises her clients, knowing what she does about how digital media is distracting us and making people like our friend Kinnan feel like he's going nuts. It's changed how my brain works. I can't any longer sit and read a printed page. We're back. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and we're talking about how a lot of us have been feeling like we're having a hard time concentrating and maybe feeling like our devices could be part of this problem. Just to be clear, so far there's no scientific evidence that tech or the Internet that they could cause someone to develop the actual disorder of ADHD. But I feel like tech moves and changes so quickly that we can't always, you know, just wait for the latest peer-reviewed double-blind medical journal to come out before we start asking questions for ourselves. So we found the perfect couple to shed some light. Liz Petrus is an ad executive who helps companies use social media to get our attention and then presumably spend some money. 
And she's married to Dr. Mike Petrus, an ADHD expert. So she knows exactly what these ads are doing. We have a client, and we built a tool for them called Telecontext. And what it does is read the closed captioning data of food network shows to determine appropriate times when people might be watching the show, looking at Twitter, and thinking about whatever they've just seen on the show. So for instance, if there's someone sharing a recipe for tacos, we can, from this client's handle, tweet out, Guy Fieri's making tacos, got you hungry for more, here's a recipe. So Liz's team waits until the exact moment someone is subconsciously thinking about making tacos, and then they hit them up with a tweet for taco recipes and the fixins that you might need to buy them. I mean, I guess that's great if you're, like, just about to Google some Mexican recipes, but not so great if you feel kind of weirded out about having your behavior tracked all the time, right? And, Mike, are you like, actually, that person should not be going to make tacos? They should be going to write their term paper? (laughs) Well, I think it's actually about quality. And I think we're getting to a point where quantity isn't really getting us anywhere. Clinically, I talk about intentionality. You know, how are, how are people being aware of what it is they're doing with their time and their behaviors and being more mindful about the consequence of what it is they're doing online and offline? I try to encourage my clients to, to think about how their brand really affects the day-to-day lives of the consumers and what can they put out there to make that experience of your consumers better, not just by buying the product, by the ways you use it, the ways you share about it, the ways you learn things from it. Is there a product that the two of you can agree is doing it right? Oh, that's a good question. That's a, it's a very, I don't know as much about the advertising world, to be honest. Well, then maybe you can speak from the consumer standpoint. Um. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I put him on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> I like that. That's usually my job. Thank you. You know, I'm one of these people that will have 10, 15, 20 tabs open on my browser because there's so many things I, I feel like I need to read or yeah. watch or listen to. And I, I use myself as an example of how I can contain that because once you understand the overwhelming and awesome power that technology has and that there are lots of bright, talented, well-paid, intelligent people that are trying to get your attention all the time and they're becoming more sophisticated every day about doing that, that it's up to us to figure out where and how we want to uh, share our attention and develop these skills. You know, through through research on neuroplasticity, we know that the brain is is responsive. It changes based on the behaviors that we make, and knowing that is power. So, do you close those tabs, or at least ten of I them? I do close those tabs. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I a couple of weeks ago, I just deactivated my Facebook for a while. Yeah, I mean, my whole theory is I'm allegedly a grown up, so that means that I try to eat healthfully. I know that it's important to get enough sleep, um, you know, exercise. Why shouldn't I treat my technology the same way? Right. No, that's exactly right. It's like drugs and gambling and shopping and pornography, all of those sort of addictive behavior, all wrapped up into one. And while internet use disorder isn't in the DSM-5 just yet, it's clear that it's a compelling problem. This is where the tension is, right? Like mm-hmm. like you said, like smart, creative people making amazing things, um, but maybe too much of them. I don't know. Like <laughs> trying, trying to figure it out. Cool. Yeah. Thanks again to you both. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Manoush. Okay, that was the husband and wife duo, psychologist Mike Petrus, advertising consultant Liz Petrus. He wants us to be more mindful of how we spend our attention online. She tells companies the only effective way to sell us stuff is to respect the time we do spend there. I'm not really sure that those companies have gotten the message yet, but anyway. This push and pull 
between people feeling unable to focus and companies needing to grab people's attention to drive the wheels of capitalism. It's kind of all personified in our friend Kinnan, that guy from earlier. After he was diagnosed with ADHD, here's what happened. What I was offered was uh, antidepressants. So, hey, hey, Mr. Klukas, here you go. Take these antidepressants while you wait to be given the drugs that will help you with your ADHD that you may or may not have. Kinnan says he hasn't taken the antidepressants, and he says he doesn't plan to. He's waiting to see an ADHD specialist. Apparently, only a specialist can prescribe medication like Ritalin or other ADHD-specific drugs in the UK. So that's him personally. As for professionally... You know what? It's a, it's a huge wake-up call. It's a huge wake-up call. Because that business that he started 14 years ago out of his house, it's actually a digital ad agency. Yeah, so the internet and new technology, it's his bread and butter. Boy, is Kinnan feeling conflicted these days. So we talk as people in creative technology about the value of disruption and how disruption is the great innovator. And disruption is what gets you scale and what gets you funding and all of these these uh, these phrases that we hear at conferences over and over. And the bottom line for me is that disruption has significantly altered the neuroplasticity of my brain. It's changed how my brain works. I can't any longer sit and read a printed page because my brain can't concentrate long enough to be able to remember the paragraph at the top of the page by the time it reaches the bottom. So what the hell does this mean for your business? Because you have essentially built a life around helping companies use technology to get customers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, and that is that is causing me no end of concern at the moment. Uh, the honest answer is that I still need to do work to get the cash in to pay the salaries of the people who work for me so they can pay their mortgages. So that's that's always my primary thing. My family comes second to that. So, you know, then I've got to pay my mortgage and make sure my kids can eat. Uh, and and I, I don't think I've got the luxury to be able to sit down and say, you know what, maybe I need to start a new movement here where we have responsible creative technology. You know, that, is there an argument for repositioning a digital creative agency into that space that says, let's slow down? I think maybe so. There is. Maybe there is. And, and I'm trying so- to build a radio show around that. Well, I think it's a good thing. And, you know, let's reach out and see who's interested in that, because I think I think that has to happen. That has to happen. So to answer your question, it's 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 uh, vexing me daily at the moment. And I have pivoted the way that my agency works, uh, but not quite that far yet. And so if there's a demand there for it, then then um, I would willingly jump in that direction. Well, we'll stay in touch, won't we? Let's hope so. All right. Thank you so much, Kenan. Really, this was uh, disturbing and enlightening. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm glad to have (laughs) helped. What do you think, listeners? I mean, should Kenan reposition his business? Should he turn his digital advertising agency into one that advocates for more purposeful use of technology? Do you think he'd lose all his clients? I'm curious to hear your advice for him. And if any of you listening are dealing with a similar sort of dilemma, you know, feeling knocked sideways by the very tools and content you make, let us know with a tweet at New Tech City or an email to newtechcity at wnyc.org. If you hear yourself in Kinnon, go take our ADHD quiz. 
thoughts at our website, newtechcity.org. How we think and live better in an overwhelming age, this is what we talk about here and why we are changing the name of this podcast. If you haven't heard yet, we have crowdsourced new names for this show. We are changing the name of the show. And you, dear listeners, have submitted almost 700 new names. And so many of you have taken our survey. I cannot say it enough how much we appreciate you taking the time. In June, we're going to let you know what the new name is, and we will transition over from New Tech City. And just a reminder, just the name is going to change. Everything else is going to stay the same. We're still going to have lots of deep thoughts and weird moments together. For now, I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City from WNYC. WNYC.